Yeah, that's what they say. The half has never yet been told. All what the Lord has um, in store for them that love him. Hmm? Well, tonight, um, I thought it uh, prudent to, um, to have a little talk on prayer and to um, explore the subject once again, how to pray, how to pray. I don't think that we'll ever get to the bottom of the subject in this life. I think that the subject of prayer is uh, deeper than we think it is. It's broader than we, we than we uh, than we, we know or believe. It's it's uh, it's big. The subject of prayer. It's um, because I think that it encompasses God. That's why it tends to be on the infinite side. Um, we uh, get alone in our prayer closets, and we uh, say our our prayers the best we can. But you know. It's a whole lot more than that. And something that I've found, maybe you've found this too, is the prayer closet doesn't give up her secrets that easily. And you have to um, do a little bit of uh, prodding and investigating and uh, studying and spend, spending time on your knees. Let's start in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1 is where we're going to begin. We're going to look at various scriptures tonight. So if you're all ready with your Bible open at John chapter 1, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, help us now in this, this subject, one that we, we wish we knew more about, one that we all wish we were better at as well. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use our, our study tonight and improve our seasons of prayer with you. And Lord, teach us more about the prayer closet and how to draw close to you and what it's all about. Please give us some practical things that we can use even tonight. Our Father, we do love you and ask for your mercy and grace right now and answer our prayers as they glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here's a, a very uh, simple but yet profound a verse of scripture, it's in verse 18. Read that verse out loud with me, please. John 1, 18, let's read it together. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Now, you might want to underline those words, in the bosom of the Father. That's a wonderful place uh, to be. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Now, you can't get closer to the Father than in His bosom. Does that make sense? That, that seems like it makes sense. And Jesus is in the bosom of the Father. Now, with that in mind, I want you to turn over to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now, uh, according to what we just read, 
John 1.18, Jesus is in the very bosom of the Father. And so, does this suggest to you that Jesus has complete access to the Father? Does that suggest that? It would seem to, that if Jesus is in the bosom of the Father, you can't get any closer, and he has complete access to the Father. He's, he's right there. He's right there. Now, we learn a truth in Romans chapter um, 8 and verse 1. And please read that verse out loud with me, please. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk out after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So if we're saved, according to this verse here, we are in Christ Jesus. Does that make sense? Yes? No? Okay. And where is Jesus? He's in the, the bosom of the Father. And so... Us being saved, born again, we are in Jesus. Now Jesus is in the bosom of the Father. Do you see? We have the same access. We have the same closeness. Now there's a, an important truth, and the devil will try and blind us to it and hide us, hide it from us. And if the devil can keep that truth from us, then he scored. He scored an important victory. Because the only way that you and I can really get, get uh, in with God and, and get our prayers answered is if we understand positionally where we're at. We are in Jesus. When we got saved, we went into Jesus, and Jesus is in the Father. And that same access and closeness that Jesus has with the Father, you and I share as well. Isn't that a wonderful truth? This is important. If we're going to know how to pray, it's important that we know where we are. And we are in the bosom of the Father with Jesus. And we have the same access. I believe the prayer closet ought to be your personal bosom of the Father. When you take that time alone with God in that quiet place that you have set aside, that should be like you entering into the bosom of the Father. Now, I know we're only speaking word pictures at this point, but your prayer closet needs to be that, that holy ground. Like when Moses came into the presence of God and God said to him, put thy sandals off from thy feet. You know, the ground wherein thou standest is holy, holy ground. That little bit of prayer closet, those few square feet, that you claim as your prayer closet, you ought to look upon it as the bosom of the Father. It ought to be someplace special like that for you. And when it begins to hold that little bit of an aura, that, that idea of specialness, you will definitely feel that you're more in the bosom of the Father. If it's just any old run-of-the-mill kind of place, it won't, it won't be special. You need someplace special to help remind you where you really are because positionally you really are in the bosom of the Father. You're in Jesus and Jesus is in the bosom of the Father. That gives you the very same access. That alone is a tremendous, powerful truth. And that alone will help improve your prayer closet. 
And so that little bit of holy ground there should bring you deep into the bosom of the Father. When we spend much time in his bosom, then we also are able to declare him to people. Just like we read in John uh, 1.18, No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. In order for us to be able to tell others about God, we need to spend that time in his bosom. And if we, if we will do that, boy, I think that it'll, uh, it'll make a big difference in our praying and also in our testifying to others and uh, in invitations to others and so on, uh, inviting them not just to church, but to the Savior. Um, you've heard me say this before, the importance of the, the prayer closet. And I personally believe that the best, the best thing you need to do with your prayer closet is you use, need to use it morning and evening. That's illustrated for us um, in the Old Testamental uh, uh, sacrificial system where they had the morning sacrifices and evening sacrifices. And these sacrifices were meant to give honor and glory to God and to stay in connection with Him. And you really ought to make use of your prayer closet um, first thing in the morning and last thing at night. And then what you do is you knit the two of them together with your prayers throughout the day. And this is how I think you spend uh, uh, the greatest day possible. You know, on Sunday, we get together in the mornings and we have great services and the Lord is with us. And then we get together in the evening again. We get a great service. And then Sunday is really the Lord's day. And it really feels like we're walking with the Lord. Well, every day can be like Sunday. If we'll get alone in our prayer closet and get into the bosom of the Father first thing in the morning and then start praying throughout the day, and then back into the prayer closet, last thing at night, right back in the bosom of the Father. Now, the morning and evening sacrifices depend very much upon a habit of offering up prayers throughout the day, linking them together, linking these two set times together by a, a chain of heavenward thoughts. And you, you do something to get into that habit. I've told you what I do. I carry it with me in my pocket. I have a little pebble, a little stone. And the Old Testament, they talked about the Ebenezer, which means a stone of help. And the idea was it was, it was bigger than this, mind you. It was a big stone here. And they would, uh, it was a, a little memorial. Um, it reminded them of... Um, of God's help. We got a hymn in the hymn book. Here I raise mine Ebenezer. Anyhow, that's what it is. The stone of help. Now you can't carry one of those big boulders around with you. But you can carry a little pebble. And so that's what I like to do. It's a little smooth little stone. Call it my Ebenezer. I put it in my pocket. Because often I find I put my hand in my pocket. Keep it out of trouble. <laughs> and when it's in my pocket, it touches the stone. And when I touch my Ebenezer, I start praying. It's a habit. Now, maybe um, you don't have pockets uh, in the garment you're wearing. Maybe you need something else. Maybe a little chain or something around your, your wrist so that when it jingles, it reminds you and you start praying. But you need to develop some kind of habit like that. 
Now, I have another habit, just as way of illustration, another habit that I have, and I'm sure glad I have it. Uh, how many have ever uh, locked their keys in their car? Raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. Okay, that's enough people. Isn't that a horrible experience? You know, lock your keys in your car. And um, now I know with the modern cars now, they've got certain safeguards against that. And maybe this is old technology, maybe. Those of us that drive old jalopies, you know, we're the ones maybe that lock our keys in our car. But a habit that I got into, and there's different ways around the problem, but one way that, that I came up with is I would take my keys, last thing before I close the door, hear that sound, that jingly sound? When I hear that, I'm safe. To me, I'm safe. When I hear that, I'm okay, and I close the door. If I don't hear that, I stop, and, say, and this thing has helped me, and I've stopped, wait a minute, where's my keys? Before I close the door. I lock it, and I'm about to close it, like, sleigh bells <laughs> or something. But that sound has uh, helped me from uh, locking my keys in my car. Now, maybe you've got some other way. Maybe you carry a spare key in your wallet or something. That's fine too. If you happen to have your wallet, maybe it would be on the front seat of the car. Where's my wallet? Oh, it's on the front seat. Where's the key in my wallet on the front seat? You know. But maybe you've got some other idea that works for you, and that's great. But you need to get some kind of little reminder, something that will help you to remember to pray throughout the day, to turn your thoughts heavenward. Because throughout the day, you get busy, and you talk to people, and you're doing things here and there, and you're going places and traffic and phone calls and things, and you get real busy. And so you need something to help you to remember God and turn your thoughts heavenward. And so for me, I like the Ebenezer, and that helps me a lot. Maybe in time I'll come up with another idea here, but I, it's something that helps me to link my, my morning prayer closet with my evening prayer closet. And, you know, Tuesday can feel like a Sunday. A Thursday of all days can feel like a Sunday because I start it with the Lord and I go through with the Lord and I finish it with the Lord. This has been the best thing that I've ever found. Um, full fruition of the benefits of, the, of, of prayer depend upon a continuity of its influences. You have to have continual influences in order to really benefit. And it's like that with most things. If you're going to lose weight, you start on day one, and maybe you've got a six-month plan in mind, a one-year plan in mind, or something like that. You start on day one. And maybe you're going to start cutting down on desserts or something. And you successfully get through day one. Well, hey, that's great. But you haven't reached your goal. It's going to require many days of continued influence in order for you to reach your desired uh, weight goal. Same with our prayers. If we just pray on day one and we pray on day 10 and we pray on day 20 and we pray on day 50, we're not going to reap the benefits as if we pray every day, little prayers throughout the day. And remember, you don't have to get down on your knees uh, once an hour out in public or wherever you are and raise your arms toward heaven in order to pray. You don't have to do that. You can pray a lot just in your heart, in your mind, in your soul. You can be sending up a lot of prayers. Um, 
If you reduce your prayers throughout the day, then what will happen, what will tend to happen, is that your morning and evening prayer time will tend to seem like a toil and a drudgery. Your prayer closet in the morning, your prayer closet in the evening, will tend to lose its sparkle if you don't get into some kind of habit of praying throughout the day. And so whatever will work for you, do it. Fragmentary prayers, that's little prayers throughout the day. It keeps our minds looking up and causes us to just feel like praying. It's a good habit that we get into. And a lot of Christians I, I've talked to over the years about, about their prayer life, and uh, often I'll, I'll hear, well, I don't feel like praying. And if I don't feel like praying, I'd be a hypocrite if I prayed. Well, that's not true. You're not a hypocrite if you pray to God, if you don't feel like praying. You're not a hypocrite, not at all. Think of a parent who has a child, and the child doesn't feel like talking to mom or talking to dad. And they justify it by saying, well, I don't feel like talking to my mother. And if I did talk to my mother, I'd be a hypocrite because I don't feel like talking to my mother. <clears throat> Son, you're not a hypocrite if you talk to your mother, but you don't feel like talking to your mother. Uh, sometimes we do things that are right to do even though we don't feel like doing them. You know, uh, brushing our teeth, uh, washing our hair, brushing our hair, uh, you know, things like that. They need to be done. We just do them. And the prayer is like that, only it's better than that. And it, for sure, if we leave off praying and thinking toward heaven, then our prayer closets are going to feel like a drag. Um, we have um, verses that tell us to keep on praying. Uh, let's see. Let's, um, let's look up one here. Let's go to Colossians chapter 4. We're in Romans. So we'll just turn to the right to Colossians. And we'll go to Colossians chapter 4. And this is, a, this is as good a one as any. There, there are many of them. I'll quote you a, just a few of them. But Colossians 4 and verse 2. Colossians 4 verse 2. Would you read that out loud with me please? Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. So the idea of continue here means just that. Don't stop. Don't stop praying. Prayer is not something that's to be done once a day. It's to be done all through the day. It's like breathing. And we're to breathe all through the day. Uh, in... Um, uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, we're to pray without ceasing. Jesus said in Luke 18.1, men ought always to pray. Um, you know, it's, it's only in this way that we can really rejoice in the Lord and uh, feel close to Him uh, all through the day. Now, some, some days we, we run into trouble. I know that. Uh, some days we, um, we think sinful thoughts or we say sinful things or do sinful things. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And so we do have a, a struggle often daily with uh, sins, usually little sins, but sometimes there can be sins that get a hold of you 
uh, like a real bad habit. Um, maybe uh, it's a sin. Uh, well, we're told there's the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the, and the pride of life. These basic three areas. And sometimes people have uh, uh, trouble with their thought life. They could have violent thoughts. I knew a man once who, who said to me that, this is a Christian man, Christian man, and said to me that sometimes he's talking to someone and when they're talking, he's looking at them and he's imagining hitting them with a baseball bat. <clears throat> that creeped me out when he said that because I wondered if he was thinking that when he and I were talking. I mean, he went on and described things in, in some vivid color and I, I just thought, this is creepy. But yet, that's what this man struggled with. He had that kind of struggle. Uh, others will have struggle maybe with um, bad words, filthy words. It's amazing what the devil will try and put in a Christian's mind. And particularly if the Christian has only been recently saved and spent a long uh, number of years in the world, they may have a lot of baggage and garbage from the world that they have to deal with. And so um, what do you do when, when our sins discourage us from prayer? Well, it's been said that the more infirmities and weaknesses that hang upon us, the more need we have to keep close and constant to our prayer closets. If grace be weak, listen to this, if grace be weak, the omission of private prayer will make it weaker. That is absolutely the truth. If you feel the grace of God upon you is weak, by omitting private prayer and your prayer closet, you'll only make the matter worse. He that will not eat will certainly grow weaker and weaker. So he that will not pray in his closet will certainly grow weaker and weaker. If corruptions be strong, the neglect of private prayer will make them stronger. The more the remedy is neglected, the more the disease is strengthened. You see? We really do need to spend time with the Lord. And the good news is we are in His bosom because we are in Jesus. And Jesus is in the Father's bosom and you don't get any closer than that. And as much access as Jesus has to the Father, now we, creatures of dust, Sinners saved by grace. We have this same access. To me, that's, that's amazing. That's wonderful news, if you ask me. Um, we have a problem with our uh, living in this life with our flesh. We have the, uh, the flesh and the spirit. It was Andrew Murray. Uh, by the way, he's written a lot of great books on uh, prayer and Closeness with God and Walking with God, books by Andrew Murray. Um, you, might, uh, you can get them for free online on the internet. You don't even have to buy the book. So he wrote this. He said, what do you think? Which has the stronger influence over you? Prayer for five or ten minutes or the whole day spent in the desires of the world? What do you think? Which has the more influence? Five minutes in prayer 
or the entire day spent in the desires the, of, of the world? Which, which one has the more influence? Murray went on to write, Let it not surprise you if your prayers are not answered. Your life and your prayer are at strife with each other. And that's very true. And it doesn't matter if, uh, if you're the pastor of the church or if you're the newest member of the church. It doesn't matter. The fact is you're a Christian trying to pray and the devil will try and put you at odds with prayer. And he'll do everything he can to eat up your time and give you every reason why you can't pray. And so typically, the average Christian usually finds that they pray maybe a minute or two minutes a day. That includes prayer for meals. Three meals a day with about five seconds of prayer each. And then a few seconds of prayer in the morning, maybe. A few seconds of prayer, possibly at night, maybe, often not. And so you'll get a minute of prayer a day, two minutes of prayer a day. And uh, folks, we need to do something about that. We need to reverse that. Because there's no way that we can uh, survive on two minutes of prayer. Our, um, our life, it's like hid with, with um, Christ. We're, we're in Him and He's in the Father. And that, that's the whole source of our our, our living and our being is our relationship with God. And what the devil tries to do is get us so uh, filled with the things of the world, the influences of the world, and then we reach a certain level of our Christianity and we say, well, I guess it doesn't get any better than this. This is about as good as I can expect until I get home to heaven. I'll never have the, uh, the prayer power that some others have. I'll never rise above you know, why even, I've tried, it doesn't seem to work, so why even bother? And the devil keeps us oppressed and keeps us, keeps us down. Uh, I read about how in the circuses, with the little baby elephants, they'll put a chain around the baby elephant's uh, foot, and they'll attach the chain to a big stake in the ground, they'll pound this stake in the ground, and the little baby elephant will try and try and cannot uproot the, uh, the stake. And so over the course of a few years as the baby elephant grows, it gets so used to the stake that when it's now a great big size of a house kind of an elephant, it doesn't even bother. That elephant could easily pull that uh, chain and stake right out of the ground. But all these years it's been conditioned to thinking that it can't. And so it doesn't even try. And I'll bet you the devil is trying that same trick with us. Trying that same trick, making us think that, well, we've, we've reached a certain level and this is about as good as it gets. Well, if you're honestly content with that, you will never get any better than that. But if you're willing in your heart to say, you know, I want to draw closer to God. I want to breathe more of heaven's air. I want to be able to know what to pray for and how to pray and see answers to prayer. I want to uh, be, uh, be so useful to God that He could use me twice as much, three times, ten times as much as He's using me now. And when we start to kind of wake up and we start realizing, hey, 
I can actually do more than this. Why is it that we need to spend our whole lives in the nest when others seem to be able to flap their wings and off they go? Why do we need to, to live in the nest? Why can't we get out and fly like others can? Andrew Murray was a tremendous man of prayer. Great, great man, greatly used of God. Why can't we be like him? Well, we can. He was just as human as us. And the, uh, uh, the, 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 the weaknesses of the flesh, the, the, the sins of the flesh, every human, every Christian, everyone has them and has to deal with them. And so what we need to do is sort of learn from the scriptures how to, how to deal with this. Paul said that, uh, you know, when he fights, he doesn't fight uncertainly. He doesn't, he's not like one who beats the air. Like he knows how to land a punch on the devil. And so ought we. We ought to know what we're doing. In fact, I believe that if we will live this way and learn to fellowship with God morning and evening and then throughout the day with fragmentary prayers, it won't be long before others will see that in us. Unsaved others will see that in us. And then, of course, when the crunch comes, those are the ones who will come to you and say, listen, would you pray for me? Listen, would you send up a prayer for me about this? or Because they'll recognize in you that you've got a closeness with God. So I think that this is very, very important for us. Very important. Because we do get discouraged. Now, um, what happens to us sometimes, and maybe this has happened to you, is um, you have times of prayer where you, you run out of things to say. You get started and after 30 seconds or a minute, all of a sudden it's, it's like the cupboards are bare. There's no more food left. You don't know what to say. You say, well, I could repeat what I just said. And maybe you tried, tried doing that. But uh, now what do I do? Maybe you hung around on your knees for another minute to see if anything would happen. And so then you got up off your knees and said, well, amen, Lord. And you went on with your day. And there are times where it seems like our minds go blank. And you need to know what to do in cases like that. Uh, and this happens, you know, to, I think, to all God's children at some point. Let's turn back to the book of Psalms. Psalm, and we'll go to Psalm 77. Now, this psalm here is credited to Asaph, who was a godly man. He wrote a number of the psalms. David, I think, wrote most of them, but we got this one here by Asaph. And he starts, he says, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. So he was really feeling down. Verse 3, I remembered God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. So it felt like he was over his head in some kind of problem. 
Maybe you've felt that once in a while. Look at verse 4. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. And there you have it. Times when you just don't know what to say. Your mind has gone blank. Maybe um, trouble or grief has uh, caused you to uh, get all plugged up or something in your prayer. Or maybe just a, a, a general lack of prayer has led to an empty mind. And that's another reason why we sometimes don't know what to pray is because we don't spend enough time praying. The more we pray, the more we learn how to pray. But this, this happens. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. Well, that may be. But um, let me ask you this. Are you able to sigh or to groan? Can you at least do that in prayer? On your knees or on your face before God? When your time comes that you, you, your, your mind seems to be blank. Uh, there may be within you a spirit of prayer in sighs and groans. And we see this also uh, in the book of uh, Romans. Let's go back, let's go there, but we're going to come back to Psalms in a minute. But uh, Romans, let's go there and we'll go to chapter 8, shall we? Now, we'll look at verse 26. And here, the Apostle Paul wrote, Likewise, the Spirit, that's Holy Spirit, capital S, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. That's good to know, because we got lots of them. And uh, this, is, this particular verse here is in the context of prayer. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. And pause there for a moment. This is true more than you, than you realize. We say, well, uh, little, little Johnny here is in uh, trouble and he, uh, he needs us to pray for him and, and we ought to. But what is the best way to pray? The best way to pray for Johnny would be according to the will of God. Because God's will is absolutely perfect. Maybe, uh, maybe little Johnny uh, broke his leg. Or maybe uh, Johnny's father, Big Johnny, um, got himself into uh, some financial uh, problems, some serious financial problems. Well, both Big Johnny and Little Johnny both need prayer. And so we pray for them the best we know how. And we say, Lord, heal up Little Johnny's leg. Lord, help Big Johnny to get out of debt and to uh, pay off his debts. And this might be how we would understand prayer for those two. But God, whose will is perfect and knows everything, he might know that uh, little Johnny broke his leg because he was being disobedient and he ran out the door when his mother said, uh, now come here, Johnny, and Johnny just disobeys and runs out the door and then tripped and broke his leg. And maybe in God's perfect plan, God allowed this so that Johnny now will learn obedience and maybe this is the perfect way to pray for little Johnny, is that he would learn obedience 
He needs obedience to his mother more than he needs his, his leg fixed. And maybe with uh, uh, Big Johnny, who got himself in a financial uh, debt, uh, maybe he was violating several uh, scriptural principles. And he was maybe loaning money to friends and maybe playing um, uh, with gambling and so on. And he's, boom, into debt. And maybe God's perfect will for Big Johnny might be that, that he would learn to honor God with his money and with his finances. Well, we don't know those behind-the-scenes details. All we know about is little Johnny broke his leg and Big Johnny's in debt. So we really don't know how to pray as we ought. We don't. We pray the best we can, but we really don't know how we ought to pray. And by the way, that's why it's often good to include in our prayers, nevertheless, Lord, thy will be done. Lord, do your perfect will in this person's life. Now back to verse 26. We know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. These are nonverbal. These are not groanings that, that are uttered. These cannot be uttered. There's no voice attached to them. This is something that the Holy Spirit does. And uh, there are times, I believe, that the Holy Spirit does this in the life of a Christian. You don't have to be super duper Christian for the Holy Spirit to pray like this because the Holy Spirit knows the perfect mind of God, the perfect will of God. There's something about when the Holy Spirit prays and groans that gets the Father's attention and brings the Father's will to play. And so there are, there are times, there can be times, and I think there are times uh, in our lives also when we may not know how we, we should pray as we ought, but uh, we can sort of spend some time in quietness before God. <clears throat> when your mind goes blank, it's not a, a signal to leave God's presence. You've, you've got your little prayer list there, and you say, boy, I'm really going to see if I can get in close to God here today. You know, you've read your, your verses of Scripture, you get on your knees or on your face, and before you know it, you've run right through the prayer list here. Zip, 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 zip. Then there's nothing more to zip. Well, now what do I do? What do I say now? What? And then you wait around for a minute, you know, to try and think of something. Well, I can't think of anything else. Well, I guess I'm done. I guess that's it. Well, goodbye, Lord. And up and out we go. And that may be a big mistake because that may be a the exact time when you really need to wait before God so that the Holy Spirit can begin praying according to the will of God. You say, but what do I, what do I say? Well, maybe you don't say anything. Maybe you just spend some time quietly in the presence of the Lord. You can do that, you know. You're allowed to do that. You're in His bosom. You don't always have to be speaking. Maybe the Holy Spirit will speak to you. He does that too, you know. I believe that there's also something we can do. And um, this will take us back to the book of Psalms if you go back there now. But um, you might want to make a mental note of, of what I'm about to say here. Go to Psalm 69. Psalm 69. There are three things that you can do 
whenever your mind goes blank in prayer. You know that you want to spend time with your Heavenly Father. You, you've made some time in the morning. And I'd like to suggest that you, uh, you try to uh, aim for 15 minutes uh, per... Well, let me back up here. <clears throat> if, if you had uh, uh, 45 minutes uh, with the Lord, 15 minutes to uh, read a, you know, some devotional book on prayer, 15 minutes to read scriptures, and 15 minutes to pray... 45 minutes. It actually goes by pretty quick. If you think, well, boy, that, that's, that's a long time. Man, a long time. Well, then cut it back to 10, 10, and 10. Try that. 10 minutes reading a, a chapter in a book on prayer, a devotional book, maybe something by Andrew Murray. Uh, there's other very, very good authors that you can read on prayer. We've got, um, we've got some books around here on prayer. Uh, and then uh, 10 minutes reading the scriptures. If you don't know where to start, you can always start in Psalms. I like reading my Bible through Genesis, through to Revelation. That's, that's what I like. And I take my time and, and I glean as much as I can. I'm looking for God speaking to me out of the scriptures. 10 minutes is nothing. It flies by. And then 10 minutes in prayer. There you've just spent half an hour with the Lord in your prayer closet. If you did that once in the morning and once at night, you will have spent one hour with God that day. Sweet hour of prayer. Wow. One hour a day with God multiplied by the number of days in a year will give you how many hours spent with God. What do you think? Not a trick question. A little louder, please. I hear a lot of whispering. Still can't hear you. 365 hours spent with God. How many hours did you spend with God so far this year in prayer, in your prayer closet? How many hours? Hmm. Have to get out the pen and paper and figure that one out. What would happen to your... Christian life, if you spent 300 hours with God every year. You know, you go and work for, at, a, at a company, at the ABC company, whatever, and you work 40 hours a week times 50 weeks, that's 2,000 hours. So you've given 2,000 hours of your time over to the company. 2,000 hours of your time over to the company. How many hours have you given to God? It's interesting, isn't it? When you step back and you look at the time. You know, it really isn't that hard to spend an hour with God a day. And the more you do it, the more you'll want it. The more you'll find, I can do this. I can fly. It won't be long before you can spend two hours with God. You'll be spending 700 hours a year with God. Alone with God. Learning from God. Drawing close to Him, praying, receiving instructions from God, getting built up. If you expect to spend all eternity with God, spending an hour a day really isn't that, that much of an investment when you think of it. An hour a day out of 24 hours, eight of which you're probably snoring. It's 
So you got 16 hours left. Give God one hour, half hour in the morning, half hour in the evening. It's not asking that much. But boy, does it ever pay off. It really pays off. This is how ordinary Christians become spiritual giants. This is how. Because they get in close with God. We're already in His bosom. We already have full access. We've got far more authority and power than what the devil wants us to, uh, to know and believe. We've got tremendous access to Almighty God. And so we need to take advantage of it. We need to do it. I don't think it's an option. I think that it's a necessity. Now, there are times when your mind goes blank and we've got the scriptures to our rescue. Look at verse 30. Psalm 69 and verse 30. <clears throat> read, read it out loud with me, please. I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. There are three things mentioned there. And if you go to Psalm 147, you'll see them again. Psalm 147. Right near the end of the book of Psalms. You'll see these three things once more. Psalm 147, verse 7. 147, verse 7. Please read it out loud. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing praise upon the harp unto our God. There's three key words here. One is to sing. Another is to praise. And another is to give thanks. Thanksgiving. These three things you can do whenever your mind goes blank. Whenever you don't know what to, to pray for. What do I do now? Well, sing a song to him. Well, what song should I sing? Well, why don't you have one or two in your repertoire? So, you know, you pick, pick a couple of your favorites. And you can write, write them down, you know. And then sing, sing to the Lord. Another one, another key is to praise Him. And praise Him for all of the marvelous things He's done. And uh, all you've got to do is just give it a little bit of thought. And the Holy Spirit will help you to start to really praise the Lord. And then to start to give thanks to God. And thank Him for your salvation. Thank Him for your home and family. Thank Him for your life. Thank Him for the Bible and a home in heaven. And for fellowship here with the saints on earth. Thank Him for the church you attend. Thank Him for opportunities to serve Him. Thank Him for the opportunity of the prayer closet. And you begin thanking Him and other things will come to your mind, your health and your job and food and clothing, your automobile perhaps, or your form of transportation. All of the blessings that God has started to, to put in your life. You'll have lots to, to take up your time in the prayer closet. Singing, praising, and thanking Him. And so we're going to end it there. A little talk on prayer, how to pray, the necessity of it. Folks, we will not rise higher than our prayer life. We will not ever rise higher than our prayer life. And so think about your prayer life. You know, on a scale of 1 to 10 or how many hours uh, you put in per year or something. Think of your prayer life. That's how high you'll rise for the Lord. The level you're at is not the, 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 the peak, the top. You can go so much higher. You can, you can do so much more for God. But it's up to you. Your life will never get bigger 
than your prayer life is now. So let's make our prayer life better. That's the answer. All righty, let's close our eyes and, and pray.